Case 4. Secret Worship. Part 3. Of John Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Davidson. John Silence by Algernon Blackwood. Case 4. Part 3. Secret Worship. Schliemann, meanwhile, utterly absorbed in his music, was playing a solemn measure. The piano sang marvelously. The power of a great conviction, the simplicity of great art, the vital spiritual message of a soul that had found itself, all this and more were in the chords, and yet somehow the music was what can only be described as impure, atrociously and diabolically impure, and the piece itself, although Harris did not recognize it as anything familiar, was surely the music of a mass, huge, majestic, somber. It stalked through the smoky room with slow power, like the passage of something that was mighty yet profoundly intimate, and as it went there stirred into each and every face about him the signature of the enormous forces of which it was the audible symbol. The countenances round him turned sinister, but not idly, negatively sinister, they grew dark with purpose. He suddenly recalled the face of Bruder Kalkmann in the corridor earlier in the evening. The motives of their secret souls rose to the eyes and mouths and foreheads, and hung there for all to see like the black banners of an assembly of ill-starred and fallen creatures. Demons was the horrible word that flashed through his brain like a sheet of fire, when this sudden discovery leaped out upon him, for a moment he lost his self-control, without waiting to think and weigh his extraordinary impression. He did a very foolish but very natural thing. Feeling himself irresistibly drawn by the sudden stress to some kind of action, he sprang to his feet and screamed. To his own utter amazement he stood up and shrieked aloud but no one stirred, no one, apparently, took the slightest notice of his absurdly wild behavior. It was almost as if no one but himself had heard the scream at all, as though the music had drowned it and swallowed it up, as though, after all, perhaps he had not really screamed as loudly as he imagined, or he had not screamed at all. Then, as he glanced at the motionless dark faces before him, Something of utter cold passed into his being, touching his very soul. All emotion cooled suddenly, leaving him like a receding tide. He sat down, ashamed, mortified, angry, with himself for behaving like a fool and a boy, and the music, meanwhile, continued to issue from the white and snake-like fingers of Buddha Shiman as poisoned wine might issue from the weirdly fashioned necks of antique files. And with the rest of them Harris drank it in. Forcing himself to believe that he had been the victim of some kind of illusory perception, he vigorously restrained his feelings. Then the music presently ceased, and everyone applauded and began to talk at once, laughing, changing seats, complimenting the player, and behaving naturally and easily as though nothing out of the way had happened. The faces appeared normal once more. The brothers crowded round their visitor, and he joined in their talk and even heard himself thanking the gifted musician. 
but at the same time he found himself edging towards the door, nearer and nearer, changing his chair when possible, and joining the groups that stood closest to the way of escape. I must thank you all, thousands of all, for my little reception and the great pleasure, the very great honor you have done me. He began in decided tones at length, but I fear I have trespassed far too long already on your hospitality. Moreover, I have some distance to walk to my inn. A chorus of voices greeted his words. They would not hear of his going, at least not without first partaking of refreshment. They produced pumpernickel from one cupboard, and rye bread and sausage from another, and all began to talk again and eat. More coffee was made, fresh cigars lighted, and Bruder Meyer took out his violin and began to tune it softly. "'There is always a bed upstairs, if Herr Harris will accept it,' said one. "'And it is difficult to find the way out now, for all the doors are locked,' laughed another loudly. "'Let us take our simple pleasures as they come,' cried a third. "'Bruder Harris will understand how we appreciate the honor of this last visit of his.' They made a dozen excuses. They all laughed as though the politeness of their words was but formal, and veiled thinly, more and more thinly, a very different meaning. "'And the hour of midnight draws near,' added Bruder Kalkmann, with a charming smile, but in a voice that sounded to the Englishman, like the grating of iron hinges. Their German seemed to be more and more difficult to understand. He noticed that they called him Bruder, too classifying him as one of themselves and then suddenly he had a flash of keener perception and realized with a creeping of his flesh that he had all along misinterpreted grossly misinterpreted all they had been saying they had talked about the beauty of the place its isolation and remoteness from the world its peculiar fitness for certain kinds of spiritual development and worship yet hardly now he grasped in the sense in which he had taken the words they had meant something different. Their spiritual powers, their desire for loneliness, their passion for worship, were not the powers, the solitude, or the worship that he meant and understood. He was playing a part in some horrible masquerade. He was among men who cloaked their lives with religion in order to follow their real purposes, unseen of men. What did it all mean? How had he blundered into so equivocal a situation? Had he blundered into it at all? Had he not rather been led into it, deliberately led? His thoughts grew dreadfully confused, and his confidence in himself began to fade. And why, he suddenly thought again, were they so impressed by the mere fact of his coming to revisit his old school? What was it they so admired and wondered at this simple act? Why did they set such store upon his having the courage to come, to give himself so freely, unconditionally, as one of them had expressed it, was such a mockery of exaggeration. Fear stirred in his heart most horribly, and he found no answer to any of his questionings. Only one thing he now understood quite clearly. It was their purpose to keep him here. They did not intend that he should go, and from this moment he realized that they were sinister, formidable, and in some way he had yet to discover inimical to himself, inimical to his life and the phrase one of them had used a moment ago, this last visit of his, rose before his eyes in letters of flame. Harris was not a man of action, and had never known in all the course of his career what it meant to be in a situation of real danger. He was not necessarily a coward, though perhaps a man of untried nerve. 
he realized at last plainly that he was in a very awkward predicament indeed and that he had to deal with men who were utterly in earnest what their intentions were he only vaguely guessed his mind indeed was too confused for definite ratiocination and he was only able to follow blindly the strongest instincts that moved him it never occurred to him that the brooders might all be mad or that he himself might have temporarily lost his senses and be suffering under some terrible delusion in fact nothing occurred to him he realized nothing except that he meant to escape and the quicker the better a tremendous revulsion of feeling set in and overpowered him accordingly without further protest for the moment he ate his pumpernickel and drank his coffee talking meanwhile as naturally and pleasantly as he could and when a suitable interval had passed he rose to his feet and announced once more that he must now take his leave he spoke very quietly but very decidedly no one hearing him could doubt that he meant what he said he had got very close to the door by this time i regret he said using his best german and speaking to a hushed room that our pleasant evening must come to an end but it is now time for me to wish you all good night and then as no one said anything he added though with a trifle less assurance and i thank you all most sincerely for your hospitality on the contrary replied kalkman instantly rising from his chair and ignoring the hand the englishman had stretched out to him it is we who have to thank you and we do so most gratefully and sincerely and at the same moment at least half a dozen of the brothers took up their position between himself and the door you are very good to say so harris replied as firmly as he could manage noticing this movement out of the corner of his eye but really i had no conception that my little chance visit could have afforded you so much pleasure he moved another step nearer the door but bruder schliemann came across the room quickly and stood in front of him his attitude was uncompromising a dark and terrible expression had come into his face but it was not by chance that you came bruder harris he said so that all the room could hear surely we have not misunderstood your presence here he raised his black eyebrows no no the englishman hastened to reply i was i am delighted to be here i told you what pleasure it gave me to find myself among you do not misunderstand me i beg his voice faltered a little and he had difficulty in finding the words more and more too he had difficulty in understanding their words of course interposed bruder kalkmann in his iron base we have not misunderstood you have come back in the spirit of true and unselfish devotion you offer yourself freely and we all appreciate it it is your willingness and nobility that have so completely won our veneration and respect a faint murmur of applause ran round the room what we all delight in what our great master will especially delight in is the value of your spontaneous and voluntary he used a word harris did not understand he said opfer the bewildered englishman searched his brain for the translation and searched in vain for the life of him he could not remember what it meant but the word for all his inability to translate it touched his soul with ice it was worse far worse than anything he had imagined he felt like a lost helpless creature and all power to fight sank out of him from that moment. It is magnificent to be such a willing, added Schliemann, sidling up to him with a dreadful leer upon his face. 
he made use of the same word opfer god what it could all mean offer himself true spirit of devotion willing unselfish magnificent opfer 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 what in the name of heaven did it mean that strange mysterious word that struck such terror into his heart he made a valiant effort to keep his presence of mind and hold his nerve steady turning he saw that kalkman's face was a dead white kalkman he understood that well enough kalkman meant man of chalk he knew that but what did opfer mean that was the real key to the situation words poured through his disordered mind in an endless stream unusual rare words he had perhaps heard but once in his life while opfer a word in common use entirely escaped him what an extraordinary mockery it all was then kalkman pale as death but his face hard as iron spoke a few low words that he did not catch and the brothers standing by the walls at once turned the lamps down so that the room became dim in the half-light he could only just discern their faces and movements it is time he heard kalkman's remorseless voice continue just behind him the hour of midnight is at hand let us prepare he comes he comes bruder asmodelius comes his voice rose to a chant and the sound of that name for some extraordinary reason was terribly utterly terrible so that harris shook from head to foot as he heard it its utterance filled the air like soft thunder and a hush came over the whole room forces rose all about him transforming the normal into the horrible and the spirit of craven fear ran through all his being bringing him to the verge of collapse asmodelius asmodelius the name was appalling for he understood at last to whom it referred and the meaning that lay between its great syllables at the same instant too he suddenly understood the meaning of that unremembered word the import of the word opfer flashed upon his soul like a message of death he thought of making a wild effort to reach the door but the weakness of his trembling knees and the row of black figures that stood between dissuaded him at once he would have screamed for help but remembering the emptiness of the vast building and the loneliness of the situation he understood that no help could come that way and he kept his lips closed he stood still and did nothing but he knew now what was coming two of the brothers approached and took him gently by the arm bruder osmodelius accepts you they whispered are you ready then he found his tongue and tried to speak but what have i to do with this bruder as asthma he stammered a desperate rush of words crowding vainly behind the halting tongue the name refused to pass his lips he could not pronounce it as they did he could not pronounce it at all his sense of helplessness then entered the acute stage for this inability to speak the name produced a fresh sense of quite horrible confusion in his mind and he became extraordinarily agitated i came here for a friendly visit he tried to say with great effort but to his intense dismay he heard his voice saying something quite different and actually making use of that very word they had all used 
I came here as a willing opfer, he heard his own voice say, and I am quite ready. He was lost beyond all recall now. Not alone his mind, but the very muscles of his body had passed out of control. He felt that he was hovering on the confines of a phantom or demon world, a world in which the name they had spoken constituted the master name, the word of ultimate power. What followed he heard and saw as in a nightmare. In the half-light that veils all truth, let us prepare to worship and adore, chanted Shliman, who had preceded him to the end of the room. In the mists that protect our faces before the black throne, let us make ready the willing victim, echoed Kalkman in his great bass. They raised their faces, listening expectantly as a roaring sound, like the passing of mighty projectiles, filled the air far, far away, very wonderful, very forbidding. The walls of the room trembled. He comes, he comes, he comes, chanted the brothers in chorus. The sound of roaring died away, and an atmosphere of still and utter cold established itself over all. Then Kalkman, dark and unutterably stern, turned in the dim light and faced the rest. Asmodelius, our Hauptbruder, is about us, he cried in a voice that even while it shook was yet a voice of iron. Asmodelius is about us. Make ready. There followed a pause in which no one stirred or spoke. A tall brother approached the Englishman, but Kalkman held up his hand. Let the eyes remain uncovered, he said, in honor of so freely giving himself. And to his horror, Harris then realized for the first time that his hands were already fastened to his sides. The brother retreated again silently, and in the pause that followed all the figures about him dropped to their knees, leaving him standing alone. And as they dropped, in voices hushed with mingled reverence and awe, they cried softly, odiously, appallingly the name of the being whom they momentarily expected to appear. Then at the end of the room, where the windows seemed to have disappeared so that he saw the stars, there rose into view, far up against the night sky, grand and terrible, the outline of a man. A kind of gray glory enveloped it, so that it resembled a steel-cased statue, immense, imposing, horrific in its distant splendor, while at the same time the face was so spiritually mighty, yet so proudly, so austerely sad, that Harris felt, as he stared, that the sight was more than his eyes could meet, and that in another moment the power of vision would fail him altogether, and he must sink into utter nothingness. So remote and inaccessible hung this figure that it was impossible to gauge anything as to its size, yet at the same time so strangely close that when the gray radiance from its mighty broken visage, august and mournful, beat down upon his soul, pulsing like some dark star with the powers of spiritual evil, he felt almost as though he were looking into the face no farther removed from him in space than the face of any one of the brothers who stood by his side. 
and then the room filled and trembled with sounds that Harris understood full well were the failing voices of others who had preceded him in a long series down the years. There came first a plain, sharp cry, as of a man in the last anguish, choking for his breath, and yet with the very final expiration of it, breathing the name of the worship of the dark being who rejoiced to hear it. The cries of the strangled, the short running gasp of the suffocated, the smothering gurgling of the tightened throat, all these, and more echoed back and forth between the walls, the very walls on which he now stood, a prisoner, a sacrificial victim. The cries, too, not alone of the broken bodies, but far worse, of beaten, broken souls, and as the ghastly chorus rose and fell, there came also the faces of the lost and unhappy creatures to whom they belonged, and against that curtain of pale gray light he saw float past him in the air an array of white and piteous human countenances that seemed to beckon and gibber at him as though he were already one of themselves. Slowly, too, as the voices rose and the pallid crew sailed past, that giant form of gray descended from the sky and approached the room that contained the worshippers and their prisoner. Hands rose and sank about him in the darkness, and he felt that he was being draped in other garments than his own. A circlet of ice seemed to run about his head, while round the waist, enclosing the fastened arms, he felt a girdle tightly drawn. At last, about his very throat, there ran a soft and silken touch, which better than if there had been full light, and a mirror held to his face, he understood to be the cord of sacrifice and of death. At this moment the brothers, still prostrate upon the floor, began again their mournful yet impassioned chanting, and as they did so a strange thing happened. For apparently without moving or altering its position the huge figure seemed at once and suddenly to be inside the room, almost beside him, and to fill the space around him to the exclusion of all else. He was now beyond all ordinary sensations of fear, only a drab feeling as of death, the death of the soul stirred in his heart. His thoughts no longer even beat vainly for escape. The end was near, and he knew it. The dreadfully chanting voices rose about him in a wave. We worship, we adore, we offer. The sounds filled his ears and hammered, almost meaningless upon his brain. Then the majestic gray face turned slowly downwards upon him, and his very soul passed outwards, and seemed to become absorbed in the sea of those anguished eyes. At the same moment a dozen hands forced him to his knees, and in the air before him he saw the arm of Kalkman upraised, and felt the pressure about his throat grow strong. It was in this awful moment when he had given up all hope, and the help of gods or men seemed beyond all question that a strange thing happened. For before his fading and terrified vision there slid as in a dream of light, yet without apparent rhyme or reason, wholly unbidden and unexplained, the face of that other man at the supper-table of the railway inn and the sight, 
even mentally of that strong wholesome vigorous english face inspired him suddenly with a new courage it was but a flash of fading vision before he sank into a dark and terrible death yet in some inexplicable way the sight of that face stirred in him unconquerable hope and the certainty of deliverance it was a face of power a face he now realized of simple goodness such as might have been seen by men of old on the shores of galilee a face by heaven that could conquer even the devils of outer space and in his despair and abandonment he called upon it and called with no uncertain accents he found his voice in this overwhelming moment to some purpose though the words he actually used and whether they were in german or english he could never remember their effect nevertheless was instantaneous the brothers understood and that gray figure of evil understood for a second the confusion was terrific there came a great shattering sound it seemed that the very earth trembled but all harris remembered afterwards was the voices that rose about him in the clamor of a terrified alarm a man of power is among us a man of god the vast sound was repeated the rushing through space as of huge projectiles and he sank to the floor of the room unconscious the entire scene had vanished vanished like smoke over the roof of a cottage when the wind blows and by his side sat down a slight un-german figure the figure of the stranger at the inn the man who had the rather wonderful eyes end of case four part three recording by kevin davidson